This content may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion advised. Until he grabbed my wrist and started to drag me to the sedan. To say I immediately started screaming is an understatement. But I know very well that there was no way that what we experienced was natural or of this world. I know you're in here. Come out. I could imagine his unnatural grin as he said that. From Disturbed Media, join your host, Chad, for true tales of horror, bizarre happenings, and unexplainable events. This is Disturbed. Welcome back in, everyone, and thanks for joining me. This week, I'm bringing you four true tales that will terrify and horrify. So sit back and listen close as we dive into the horror. We open the show hearing from Reddit user Kadena Kid, featuring voice work by Sarah Thomas, and we're thankful for the fortunate timing. My mother was stationed at Kadena Air Force Base around the late 2010s, and being a military child at the age of 12, my life had reset once again. I didn't have friends again, and I had to learn an entire new neighborhood. I didn't really have anything that made me ecstatic. That is, except the Pokemon League held on base. It was run by a few people who earned their judge cards from Nintendo and held tournaments and just open game nights. It was really fun picking up the card game, playing in the video game. They even had a small gym and Elite Four system. I made a lot of friends, and one of them was one of the judges, who I am thankful for to this day. Because if it wasn't for him, I may not be here right now. The judge in question, who we'll call Professor Getsu for the sake of anonymity, was a nice dude. He was the youngest of the three and wore a white professor getup. He looked maybe on the edge of his teens, early 20s, with dark hair and glasses and a skinny frame. He was extremely helpful to newcomers, sort of like the big brother we could all look up to and strive to beat in our children's cars and video games, even if his game name of Getsu was a bit nerdy even for me. He was always one of the last people to leave, helping to clean up, and he supposedly lived nearby. This last thing is important for what's about to happen. It was a bit of a colder night when the event ended. I was sitting outside in the parking lot, scrolling through memes my friends texted me as I waited for my parents to arrive to pick me up. I was just kind of zoning out as the time clicked by when I heard someone nearby. Hey, hey girly, you play Pokemon? I looked up at some really big dude, kind of chubby looking. I saw him every now and then in the events and he didn't really stand out too much. I gave a small nod and said, yeah, I do, as he gives this wide smile, like creepy wide. He starts walking forward and I'm hit with his nasty stench, like bad body odor. I blink a bit as I see he's walking from a black sedan with its back door open. I got this cool card collection. 
Come here, let me show you. Now, my parents have always taught me stranger danger, but my kid brain thought, hey, he went to events and I saw him, so should be fine. At least, so I thought. Until he grabbed my wrist and started to drag me to the sedan. To say I immediately started screaming is an understatement. Stinky didn't care, though. He was still dragging me, saying how I will have fun and throwing out things about trading cards, like someone listening would think he was dealing with a whiny kid. I honestly thought that I was going to be taken, and I would never see my mom and dad again. That I would be on the back of a milk carton and never seen again. Silly, I know, but I was rather sheltered about dying and death at the time. Thankfully, Professor Getsu had walked out at that very moment, presumably on his way to walk home. All I know is I hear the sound of fabric hitting this dude's face as Professor had swung his professor coat right into the dude's face. I feel his hand go to where the dude's grabbing my arm, and I see his hand grab Stinky's pinky finger and yank it back. Hard. Stinky let go and yowled like an animal as Professor pushed me back behind him as he yanked his coat off of the dude. He then kicked at the back of the dude's knees, causing him to buckle as Professor grabbed his wrists and pulled back on them. Stinky groaned in even more pain as Professor looked at him with just a cold look in his eyes. The big brother figure was gone, and something else was in its place, and I think I was a bit scared of it. Professor's tone of voice when he spoke didn't help either, like icy daggers with his words against Stinky. If I see you back here or doing this shit to my charges, this will pale in comparison to what Japanese prisons will do to you. Stinky would scramble away and get into his car and peel out of the parking lot, Professor glaring at him until he was out of sight. He then guided me inside to the venue, bought me some fish and chips, and sat down with me until my parents arrived. That cold persona he had when he kicked that dude was gone, back to being the big brother I knew. To be frank, that frightened me. I didn't quite understand why the teenager was so aggressive. I only later learned that Professor Getsu was a black belt who taught kids how to defend themselves with his mother at the local activity center. I suspect he had something of a protective persona or something in his own life, which led him to act in such a way. He explained the situation to my folks when they arrived. I wasn't allowed to go to the events and league as much as I used to, but I did from time to time. Professor Getsu was still his normal self at the events and helping people, but he would stop coming in the events a year afterwards, his license having expired and his father moving out of the country soon. Reaching about the same age as he was, and with a little sibling of my own, I sympathize with him now. For a brief moment, he became something terrifying just to make sure I was safe. And as for Stinky, he never showed up to the events, and he was either banned or just scared of Professor Getsu. I wish the professor had a good life, and I hope he's doing well. As for Stinky, I wish we never meet ever again. Get your voice on Disturbed with our hotline, available 24-7, completely free. Tell us your experience or just leave your comments on the show. Visit hotline.disturbedpodcast.com on your mobile device or computer. Next up, we check in with Reddit user 2Punked, featuring voice work by Nicole Doolin, and we encounter the dancing entity. (laughs) 
My friend and I went to a holiday party about a year back, and we had an early morning meeting for a volunteer event the following day. It was around 12 to 1 a.m. when we decided to leave the party, but my friend realized that she forgot to buy drinks for the meeting in the morning. Not wanting her to have to wake up earlier than she had to, I offered to drive her to a nearby grocery store that happened to be open late. On the way there, we realized that it was super quiet and there weren't any other cars around, which is pretty typical if it would have been a weekday. But it was a Saturday, and usually Saturdays are busy until 3 a.m. in our city. Nonetheless, we drove on and reached the store. As we drove in, we saw a lady literally appear seemingly out of nowhere, dancing around in a very free-looking way. I don't really know how to describe her outfit other than almost pirate-like. There were pieces of cloth hanging off her outfit. Her face was pale white with dark but neat eye makeup, and her hair looked like it might have been really big dreadlocks with more cloth, or maybe even feathers tied into it. We quickly pulled into a faraway parking spot well away from her and practically sprinted into the store. And when we looked back, she was gone. Not sure if this matters, but I figured I would include the ambiance of the store as well in case this is a cross-dimensional experience. The lights were dim with some flickering, and when we first walked in, there was a couple, about middle-aged, and I think the woman was pregnant if I remember correctly whispering to, seemingly, the only employee. When they spotted us, they stopped talking and watched us walk down the juice aisle. Needless to say, my friend said she changed her mind and wanted to leave. When we first stepped out, we both happened to look to our left and saw the woman from earlier, standing still at the opposite end of the parking lot. We immediately booked it to my car, got in and locked the doors. But when I tried to start it, it wouldn't. I had just bought the car a couple of weeks prior from a certified dealership, and the car never had and still never has to this day given me issues. Luckily, after a few turns of the key, my car started and we left. In my rearview mirror, the entity danced towards my car again. But it was almost as though she was sprinting because she was moving so quick towards us. Once we made it back over the hill towards our homes, it was as though every single car that should have been on the other side of the hill appeared and the town was as busy as usual. I still have no idea who or what we saw, but I know very well that there was no way that what we experienced was natural or of this world. If anyone has any opinions on what creature or entity we saw that night, please share. As much as I'm still scared of that incident, I am anxious to know what we experienced. You're listening to Disturbed from Disturbed Media. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. 
It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. Well, hey, podcast listener. My name is Vince, and I'm the host of a show called The RR Show. It stands for Reddit Readings. We're going to sit down twice a week, and I'm going to bring you the most entertaining stories from all of the best subreddits that exist online. Things like malicious compliance, petty revenge, hey, lady, I don't work here. Oh, there's so much more. Lots of great stories and things you won't believe. Like the one time uh, this dude was caught in a bathroom with his friend, and he was slapping them because that was the only way that he could actually legitimately help them. A mall cop comes in with a taser. Oh, yeah, the rest is history. It's going to be fun. There is, uh, I don't know, I got like 20 seconds left, so I don't got much more time to tell you another story. But just join me on The RR Show. It's from Evergreen Podcast, produced in partnership with Wessler Media. So The RR Show, wherever you get podcasts, subscribe today. And uh, it's like an adult story time. Let's hang out together. The RR Show. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Disturbed. Now, back to the horror. Next up is an email submission from Florence, featuring voice work by Tanya Eby. And we barely escape. I live in an urban part of Manchester, have for about a year now, and I've gotten to the habit of going on night walks before bed. Sometimes I forget time and get lost for an hour or two. I often notice this is when my housemate messages, asking me where I am. I've learned to send short messages to her. Every time I come home, she is either passed out on the couch or playing Skyrim high. If I was in danger, I felt like I couldn't ask her. A friend of mine, Jamie, joked that I should take boxing or karate classes. Although he lives in Liverpool... I send him a tracker whenever I go out. It comforts me. Before Manchester, I lived in Cornwall. My experience there was interesting, to say the least. I had two stalkers, one I met at a bus station. He gave a vivid story on how to beat up a pigeon, and the other initially messaged me through Facebook, claiming he was a master's student at the local university, saying he saw me walking in town. I'm not averse to conflict, I have a few scars to prove that. I'm not saying I'm that person in movies who sits at the bar alone, downing shots, but I've had a few hits and misses that my therapist thoroughly knows about. I won't go into detail here. I have a thought in the back of my mind that something else is going to happen, like it isn't going to end. Maybe that is my downfall. One evening, a photographer I worked with a week or so ago waited for me in Manchester's Oxford Road, to drop off a watch I left behind. He asked me what I was doing on a Thursday night. 
I said I was going to see a friend perform at the comedy night just down the road, hoping he wouldn't join me on the walk. You get a lot of strange looks, especially if you're walking alone at 10 p.m. I enjoy people watching. The night culture in Manchester is loud, drunk, and full of light. Families from the theater are rushing to get on the train, and students from the university are smoking outside of clubs. On this one occasion, I did not send a tracker. I only messaged Jamie saying I was going to pick up my watch. The watch is a family treasure. It was passed down from the 1940s, the brand doesn't exist anymore, and it is gold-plated. So, as you probably guessed, it is valuable. I gripped my keys, just in case. And I am hyper-aware of who is surrounding me. On my way back to the train, there were a lot of people and it is difficult to keep track of everyone. Sometimes, some individuals stick out from the crowd. The glaring eyes or the brightly dressed. Before I stepped into the train station, I noticed a tall man appearing like a shadow. Mistakenly, I looked at him too long. His eyes pinned on me and he drew a large smile. I could have sworn his lips stretched from ear to ear. His arms rested in mid-air and his fingers entwined like a ball. I had my phone ready to scan and swiftly passed through the gates. The gut feeling in my stomach was wrenching. I'm quite short and thin, so I can move through crowds without having to push or shove anyone. I knew the platforms like the back of my hand, so in my attempt to avoid him, I got into my platform, checked the waiting time, and moved behind a wall. I unraveled my earphones and played soft music to try and calm my anxiety. One thing I learned during a hiking trip is to never panic during a stressful or unprecedented situation. Otherwise, the worse will happen. The train finally arrived. Ten minutes felt like an hour. I stepped into the train. This train has five coaches. Everyone was mere inches from one another. I looked up after changing a song and saw a brightly-eyed tall man staring down at me. I held my keys so tightly that I caught my palm. His teeth were coral white and his gums were rose pink. He stood so close to me, I could see the pattern on his suit. His breath smelt metallic. The man grabbed my wrist and whispered, I can feel your heartbeat. He forcefully let go as an announcement presented, Next stop is Bolton. Everyone shifted, preparing to get off the train. I made my move to push away from the man. I only managed to get behind one other person, but I was ready to run. I never thought I would be so happy to hear the sound of the doors open. I slithered past the crowd and made my way to the female toilets. I locked myself in one of the cubicles and let go of the keys. I looked at my palm, and the small cut bled. Shit, I muttered under my breath. I heard the toilet door open, which was quickly followed by three females drunkenly laughing. All right there, mate, one female slurred. There was a notable silence. I lifted my feet off the ground and held my knees tightly. Weirdo. Another female laughed as they left, slamming the door behind them. I still felt a presence in the room. I couldn't hear the figure breathing or moving, but I could just about see the top of a shadow figure. As I reached for my phone, I thought in frustration, what is the security number? I waited for the mobile data to kick in. I know you're in here. Come out. I could imagine his unnatural grin as he said that. In the search was British Transport Police. Yes, I silently mouthed. 
losing my balance and accidentally banging the stall wall. I placed my palm on the wall and regained my balance. A darkness peered over me. I dreaded looking up. A hat fell on my lap and made me jump out of my seat. I regrettably looked up. His eyes were enlarged and his grin was sharp. I could see only an inch of his teeth. His dark hair was partly bald, and strands of his hair fell in front of his face. I recovered some strength and both of my hands formed tight fists. I promptly stood on the toilet lid and without hesitation, I thumped him. He let out a blaring cry and held his nose. I took my chance to run. Looking for even more Disturbed? Join us on Patreon for ad-free listening, shout-outs, and Disturbing Calls bonus episodes at patreon.com slash disturbedpodcast. Apple users can subscribe to Disturbed Media Premium directly in the Apple Podcasts app. Up next, we hear from Reddit user Sabina Alina 11 featuring voice work by Nicole Goodnight. And we meet a man named Happy. So I'm going to tell you the story of my brief encounter with a man called Happy. I'm sure it wasn't his real birth name, but it adds to the creepy ambiance of the story. Even though it happened around nine years ago, sometimes he still crosses my mind. Especially on gloomy, overcast days in LA. Just like the day I met Happy. 2013. I'm working at a cannabis dispensary in Venice Beach, a block from the boardwalk. A good 35% of our patrons were unhoused people. Occasionally, someone experiencing severe psychosis would try to come in, but if they were screaming or unintelligible, security would not let them in. If they had and presented the holy trinity of medical papers, ID, and cash, they were good to go. We had a compassion program where we'd bag up grams of shake left over from bottoms of jars and give them completely free one per person per day to anyone who asked. Word about this spread quickly on the boardwalk. Generally, these people would be the nicest, most polite, and considerate customers, even if they did smell a bit stinky and their money got pulled out of a sweaty sock. No one working there would bat an eye if someone came in smelling like they'd slept on the beach for a week next to a bottle of vodka, as long as they just calmly buy their weed and be on their way like any other customer. It's a foggy, chilly day around the holidays, sometime between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Someone called out so I was the only person in the back bud-tending. There was another employee at reception and the security guard at the front door. I'm alone in the back room. There are cameras, but no one is actively watching them. This guy walks in after being checked in at the front, he's the only customer at the moment, and I swear the whole room gets colder as he walks in. He is wearing a very worn-in, deeply faded, wrinkled, conformed-to-his-body, floor-length leather duster jacket and a similarly beaten-up, wide-brimmed leather cowboy hat. It looked like he'd lived and slept in these same clothes for years. We did not allow hats, hoods, or sunglasses in the store, so I'm surprised that security didn't make him take off his hat. This man is at least six foot five and built like a boulder. Not obese kind of large. Pick you up and toss you like a ragdoll large. The stench that comes with him is unlike anything I've ever smelt before or since. It was beyond B.O., beyond piss or shit. It smelled like actual death, as if he had rotting carcasses tucked under his thick, long leather coat. 
I thought I had been hardened by plenty of nasty body strength before, but this was absolutely revolting. Far beyond anyone who hadn't showered lately or pissed their pants. I'm trying not to inhale very deeply, and I say, Hi, sir. Uh, excuse me, I'm sorry. Would you mind taking off your hat? Just store policy. Big customer service smile. What are you looking for today? He grunts deeply. He's walking very slow, shuffling and dragging his feet. His voice sounds like he gargles with gravel, rough and wet, raw and angry. I don't take off my hat. At this point, I'm not trying to argue with this man about his hat either. Let's get him in and out. I glance down and see he's not wearing shoes. The bit I can see from under his coat, one of his ankles is massively purple-black and swollen, melon-sized. The bottoms of both of his feet are bloody and tore up. I realize he's leaving a slight trail of blood as he drags his ragged feet across the concrete floor of the shop. My first thought is how and why the fuck did security let this guy come in? Second is this guy is obviously seriously injured, and that is concerning as a human being. I'm making sure to keep the display shelf between me and this guy, but that's only about a foot of space, like a bar. He gets to me and the stench gets stronger. I meekly but sincerely ask, Are you alright, sir? His eyes flare at me. What do you care? And I'm like, well, I tried not my chair, not my problem, not my monkeys, not my circus. Great, what can I get for you? He pulls up one of his sleeves to expose his forearm. It is covered in large round burns like from a cigar. Some old, healed, and some fresh, pussy and infected. It's not track marks, it's burns. He also has a jagged homemade looking stick and poke tattoo of a smiley face. A crooked circle, two lines for the eyes and a scabbed-up curve of a smile. He points at this tattoo. Happy. My name is Happy. The rotting stink was so strong and I needed to breathe little gasps the least possible. I walked here. I walked all the way here from Pasadena. I'm like, well, sir, that's a very long walk. Anyway, what are you looking for today? Just for you. His eyes are dark and menacing. He's smeared with a layer of grime like he lives in the woods dirty. He doesn't look like the average crust punk or disabled veteran you'd generally see living on the beach. It was hard to guess his age, but he wasn't that old or young, somewhere between 30 and 50. He looked like he'd dragged himself here from his log cabin, like what would happen if you entangled some quantum mechanics poorly and mixed Ed Gein with an 1800s homesteader, then transported him to 2013 Venice Beach. I, of course, have never seen this man before. Once was more than enough to make him unforgettable. He keeps staring at me as I move as far back as I can to the wall, hopefully out of his grasp if he lunged. I would need to walk out from behind the case and around him to get the security guard. I'm weighing my options. I decide to grab a bunch of compassion grams and then weigh out an eighth and mark it down that I'd pay for it later. And he's still just leering at me, wheezing heavy, stinking breaths. We actually have a special today only for people who walked more than ten miles to get here. This is all for you, on the house. Uh, thanks for stopping by. He accepts the bag, but continues to just stand there and stare at me. Thank you, Happy? It worked. He grunts a guttural noise that is not a word and slowly turns to shuffle back toward the door. At the door, he turns back towards me and says, I'll see you later. He finally walks out after, leaving plenty of his residual stench of death behind. Thank any and all of the gods, I did not see Happy later or ever again. When I asked security why the fuck did they let him in, he said that when he had noticed his bloody feet and said, Hey bro, are you all good? That looks like it hurts. Happy had stepped up in his face and threatened to choke you out. 
and since it was just him and two 22-year-old 130-pound girls, he wasn't trying to die tonight and figured hopefully Happy could just get his stuff and leave. He was watching the cameras in the back ready to call police and owners if anything got weird. Apparently, we had different definitions of weird, but I understood his reaction and ultimately, we're all fine, just spooked and creeped out. And now, needing to clean blood off the floor with bleach and gloves and texting our boss that he owed us free weed about it. He agreed. And we all lived happily ever after. Now I'm going to leave you hearing about something some of you might be familiar with, and some may not. This news clip comes courtesy of WHAS 11 News, featuring Stefan and Josh from the Farscape Paranormal Podcast. And remember, the best advice is to never let them in. So we're going to be talking about the black-eyed children or the black-eyed kids. Yeah, and, you know, it, it really all started back with uh, one gentleman back in the late 90s. Uh, he was going to mail some letters, stopped outside of an old movie theater to use the light to fill out his paperwork. Next thing you know, two kids showed up, like one kind of in the tween range, one older kid. Tried to get him to let him in the, in, into his car to take them home. He, he kept refusing. Then their eyes went just pitch black. Black, not just, not just the irises, but everything went completely everything creepy horror black. movie black. <laughs> and so, um, you know, when doing a lot of research, this is not the only account. There are a lot of people who encounter these black-eyed kids. You know, and we, before, we yeah, and this was even before people found out that other people were making accounts. So it's not like today how we have creepy pasta and everybody kind of makes up their own stories. This is back in the early stages of the internet, right? When people were sharing stories on message boards, and these were popping up on different message boards that had nothing to do with one another, which makes it, I don't know, extra creepy. Yeah, and I mean, it, it's uh, you know, I, I remember one of those stories I looked up. Uh, a woman was awoken uh, by her dog who uh, sensed something at the front door, went to investigate, never opened her door, never made a sound. But somehow the kids on the other side of the door knew she was there and tried to get them to let her into the house. Nope. Them into the house. Nope. <laughs> so it's, it's funny. They're, they're always um, – they're always it's it's always two it's always two kids one in the like a tween age and one is like a a, a preschool type age. The yeah, and they're always trying to like get into either your home or your yeah. car or into something, which makes it almost feel almost like a vampire of some sort. You yeah. know what I mean? Like they have to be invited in. You know, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty uh, pretty creepy. And and everybody who has these encounters with these kids at a certain point. Uh, of, of refusal of help, it, it turns into very more aggressive in their actions with trying to get into wherever you are, your car, your house, your place of work. Yeah, the more and more you don't let them in, the more and more they seem to get very upset, very angry, and extra creepy. Many people have reported this around the country. Uh, have we found any around the world, or is it strictly the United States, Josh? No, there, there are stories around the world. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, and then, of course, the telltale sign is when they start getting aggressive, their eyes turn black. They just, yeah. again, 
It, it's not just like their irises change a different color. The entire eye is just completely blacked out. Yep. It's it's something you don't want to see. I, I, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, the, the first one of the stories that we found, uh, someone was leaving the mall and kids followed her to her car uh, out, outside of the mall and then until they were coming towards the front of her car as she was backing out of her parking spot yeah. and, her, and their eyes turned black. And so she squealed tires trying to get out of there. Just one more thing for you to think twice about out there. It's said that a feeling of intense dread comes along with these BEK encounters right around the time you notice they're all black eyes. And that's hopefully when you realize not to let them inside your home or vehicle. Now, if you want an intense first-hand encounter, look no further than the Brian Bethel interview with Ryan Sprague on the Somewhere in the Skies podcast. I've linked it in the show notes. And you can dig further into this phenomenon yourself with some Google searching. Don't forget you can send in your own true terrifying tale. Head over to disturbedpodcast.com submit. If you'd like to support the show and gain access to bonus episodes, ad-free content, and early releases, visit patreon.com disturbedpodcast. And a big thanks to our newest supporters, Hannah, Mila Cardona, Mary, Jess Morrison 7, and Ryan Garrett. Thanks to all of you for supporting the show. Music by Carl Casey at WhiteBatAudio and Co.ag. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And don't forget to stay safe out there, y'all.